Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke 8. I'd like to begin reading at verse 22. Luke 8, verse 22. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples. And he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. The title of my meditation this morning is, What Could Sink Your Boat? I found it interesting in the Sunday school lesson we were talking about shipwreck. <laughs> shipwreck and your boat sinking are very similar. Each of us are our own sea of life on a voyage from birth to eternity. And referred to, we refer to that voyage many times as the sea of life. And that's what I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about what could sink our boats. What is it that would destroy us? Jesus asked the disciples and their little encounter here, these few verses, he said, where is your faith? Where is your faith that's going to see you through from birth into eternity? If your faith is in anything other than God, your boat is at serious risk of sinking. Actually, with Christ, with God, you can forget the boat and actually walk on the water if you want to. A couple of things I like to, two key, two key questions I think we need to look at as we look at uh, this experience here with Jesus and his disciples and thinking about what could sink our boat, destroy us spiritually. Key one, when we're encountering something that is beyond our ability to face, I think the question, one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, are we following the commandments of Jesus? The disciples here clearly were doing that. Jesus had commanded them to get into the ship, into the boat, and cross over onto the other side. Jesus was, of course, with them. The second thing we need to deal with and reckon with is that simply because we're following the commandments of the Lord or walking with Jesus does not mean that we are not susceptible to the elements of life or of this world. You know, we, we hear that expression many times, and it's probably some of the things that got me thinking. I've been reading a book by Dr. Schuller, Robert Schuller, Life's Not Fair, But God is Good. And, uh, you know, in our concept, we sometimes like to tap into that philosophy that if we're with God, that life is going to be okay. Well, it will be okay, but we need to realize the context in which we, we look at things. And... Uh, 
Life is not always fair. We can't argue with that, with that fact. Good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. Uh, you know, the facts of life and the acts of God are, in fact, two different things. We see them here in our little story here. We saw the, uh, the facts of life, the fact that a storm came up on the sea, very likely the Sea of Galilee here. And, uh, you know, we can read in the handbooks. I've never been there personally myself, but they say the, the climate, the uh, geographical structure is such that, you know, the storms will come up fast on the Sea of Galilee, bringing in the cooler air off the Mediterranean uh, coast and uh, the hotter, humid air in further, uh, creating uh, the climate proper for uh, almost unpredictable storms quickly passing through. And that's very likely. So that was a, that was a fact of life. That was a fact of nature. And uh, I don't know if that thought entered the disciples' minds or not when Jesus followed, when Jesus instructed them to get into the ship and to cross over or not, that, okay, this could happen. And uh, now these, most of these men were probably seasoned boat people, but yet they encountered something that was bigger than themselves to the extent that they actually, uh, they were taking on water and uh, they went to the master of life and said, uh, we perish. They were gone in their own eyes, I think. They said, we perish. And uh, they were in jeopardy and uh, he responded to their need and that's an act of God. God many times intervenes in those facts of life and will bail us out, we might say. Bail the water that we're taking on out of our lives. And he's glorified through that. One of the other things I found interesting as I looked at this little account here in Luke, uh, we see the uh, humanity of Christ. The fact that he fell asleep and... uh, you know, was relaxed and uh, trusting of his disciples to get him to the other side, <laughs> even though he had to come and bail him out. But, uh, you know, it's all right to be tired, uh, if you're doing good things, that is. And uh, that's what Jesus was doing. He was ministering to the needs of the people. And uh, this was probably the only time he had for relaxation and rest. And uh, I found that rather interesting to realize that Jesus and his humanity got tired. We all get tired sometimes, moms and dads, and I don't know if young people get tired or not. Sometimes I'm amazed at their, their uh, energy. And, uh, but, uh, you know, we, we all get tired. And the older we get, probably the, sooner, the, the easier we get tired. But, you know, it's all right to get tired. Christ got tired, and he realized he needed to refresh himself with a nap. Well, that's just a little sight note. It has nothing. Well, yeah, it does have something to do with facing the storms of life. I think we need proper rest. Uh, that's. I always feel better in the morning. I, I, I feel a lot better. I'm worth way more in the morning than I'm in the evening. Uh, I think one of our children in our 40th book said that's one of the memories they had of me saying, well, let's sleep over it. And uh, I think that's... I like to still practice that. Sometimes it's we like to make a decision now, but uh, I think it's good sometimes to sleep over it and see what it looks like in the morning because it can be look different. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians. Keep that in mind. The idea of what could it take to think to sink your boat, and where is our faith as we go through this journey of life? And that uh, thought was expressed also in our, our Sunday school lesson as well. Philippians chapter two. 
As we think of the the goodness of God and uh, how it affects us as his children, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, two very, very familiar verses that we, we many times focus on. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do I see God working his good pleasure in my life? Do you see God working his good pleasure in your life? Someone has said we may not get what we want, but God will give us what we really need. And I think that's a, a good fact to remember. We may not always get what we want, what we think we need, but God will see that he all, we always get what really what I need. What, what will refine us? What will make us more in his image? And sometimes we don't have that ability to discern that, that what I want is not for my best interest. God, I can, I can depend upon God this morning that he will. Give me those things. Bring those things into my experience for His good pleasure to make me, to make you in His likeness. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Another verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Another familiar verse that we quote many times. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called according to his purpose. While studying for this sermon, the phone rang and I answered it. And there was a pre recorded message. I don't, I'm not sure I'm quoting it verbatim, but this is somewhat the context of it, content of it. And the pre recorded message said, instructed me and said, don't hang up. Because that's usually my first response. But this one stopped me. It said, don't hang up. We're calling you for a good reason. Well. And I, I listened just long enough to hear what, I, that what they thought the good reason was. And they said, it, they were saying something about putting $10,000 into my account. 10000 extra dollars into my account. And that's when I hung up. Did I have faith in their offer? <laughs> No, I, I didn't have faith in their offer. I, I'm old enough to realize they're probably more interested in getting money out of my account than putting money into my account. If it's too good to believe it, it isn't true. You know, as we think of that verse here in Romans, chapter 8, verse 28, we, we like to get hung up on the all things. All things work together for the good to them that love. We like that part. All things? But you know, there's a qualification there. Notice what it says. We need to love God. We need to love God. How much do I love God? Am I willing to let and encounter anything in this world because of my love for the Lord? And then you come to the last phrase of that. Who are called according to His purpose. That makes a whole different concept. It's not my purposes. It's not what I think. It's not what I want. But it's His purposes. Pastor Turner writes a column for 
one of the newspapers, and he had an article regarding that, and I like some of the thoughts he had. He said, so we think of that verse in Romans 8, verse 28, he said, this leads to the discovery that even the present suffering can become a source of blessing. This is not a sentimental attempt to convince ourselves that evil things are good. They remain what they are, evil. Though difficult, they have lost the power to defeat us, if we look at it in the proper context of Romans 8. No matter how bitter the circumstances may be, we can learn to discover in them God's cooperation, His love, and His presence. And I think that's what that verse is telling us, that through these difficult, trying experiences in life, we can learn to experience God, understand ourselves in a better way than what we would have otherwise. It is in the things that seem most to deny God's goodness in which we often find God's presence, oftentimes the nearest to us. Some situations will will never be ideal. It is important to know that success in God's eyes is not what we achieve, but what the process of the struggle does to us. Dealing constructively with shattered dreams and thwarted hopes may bring a finer character, deeper joys, and a more useful life than any smooth or carefree experience that we encounter. Leslie Weatherhead, quoting Leslie Weatherhead, one of England's greatest spiritual leaders, wrote, I can write down this simple testimony like all men. I love and prefer the sunny uplands of experience when health, happiness, and success abound. But what I have learned more about God, life, and myself in the darkness of fear and failure than I have ever learned in the sunshine. There is such a thing as the treasures of darkness. The darkness, thank God, will pass, but what one, but what one learns in the darkness, one will possess forever. What we learn through those experiences, we take through the sea of life with us, and it will sustain us when the time is, is, times get tough and rough. Turn your Bibles back, Father, to Romans chapter 2. I'd like to read verses 1 through 13. You know, I, I, I thought of it after, I'm a slow thinker, and I thought of it after, the tel, after, the tel, after I hung up on the telemarketer. I thought, you know, I should have tried it. It probably would have referred me to someone that could have, I could have communicated with or talked to if I would have stayed on long enough. I wonder what would have been their response if, they, if I'd have told them that, you know, I'm the treasurer of a Bible school that could use $10,000 pretty pretty good right now. Charity organization, 501c3. Uh, suppose we transferred the $10,000 to that account. Uh, would they have been interested? Or perhaps Mennonite Air Missions or somewhere like that. Well, I think maybe they'd have hung up on me perhaps if I'd have started proposing something outside of their spectrum of, uh, of ideas. But uh, look at Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, Whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. There's that truth again. God's judgments are truth. And we're talking about defending the truth and, and living for the truth. And I'm, it's because of the truth of God's word this morning that I can share with you with confidence. It's not my ideas. It's not my philosophies. It's not anybody else's philosophies. But it's the truth. It's the word of God. It's the gospel. It's the good news. Uh, verse 3, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? 
There we have in verse uh, verse 4 the primary purpose and goal of God's goodness to mankind. And that's some of what I'm thinking about, that God is good. That His goodness will lead us to repentance. Verse 5, But after thy, after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds? To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey on righteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish within Pardon me, shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Our lives, if we want to contend for the truth, we need to live it. And that's what this scripture here is talking about here in Romans chapter 2. The riches of his goodness. I wanted to mention that it talks about... uh, the riches, in verse 4, the riches of God's goodness. How rich is God in goodness? It's, it's part of His, we, we refer to it as one of His attributes. It's part of His, his, his makeup. Nobody here, well, I'm a quarter good. Uh, if you want to go by genealogy, my grandma Musser was a good before she was married. So I'm a quarter good. But that still doesn't count spiritually. I don't care if your last name is good, good, good four times. And you're still not 100% good. Spiritually, we need the Lord Jesus Christ, if your name even is good. But how rich is God in goodness to us? Can you put a dollar value in God's riches? I had to think of that thought as I I thought about how rich God is in goodness to all of us. If we start adding up, go down the benches here and say, what good thing have you experienced of God this morning? And you name it. And we go to the next person. We go the whole way back through the auditorium. Come up through this side. And then we tell you, okay, now you think about what that was worth. Put a dollar value on it. Could we put a dollar value in God's riches? Well, we, we could, I guess, but, you know, it's, it's immaterial. Uh, because it tells us that the soul, a soul of, of mankind is worth more than the whole world. And that's what God is working with. God is a soul worker. He's a, he takes our lives and he, he transforms our lives. And uh, so it's, it's beyond our comprehension. But that's... God is, has enough of riches to, to uh, bless each one of us. Every person in the whole wide world. Another thing I noticed in verse 4, particularly as we think of, it talks about despising the riches of God's goodness. Um, you know, do we take God's goodness for granted? Am I, do I recognize my dependence on God's goodness? Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. I thought it was interesting the way Paul wrote that there in verse 4. The goodness of God leadeth thee. What does that remind you of? Anybody? What does that remind you of? The goodness of God leading us? Okay, you're close. 
What 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 was standing there? Dan is very close to what I was thinking. Still orders Psalms twenty three. Good shepherd. I heard it somewhere. <laughs> the good shepherd. That's how we know him. That's how we should know him. That's what he wants to be to us. He wants to lead us. He doesn't drive us by still waters. He leads us by still waters. He'll lead us through those difficult experiences in life. Uh, I thought that was just a side note, but I thought that was interesting. You know, I read through that verse many times. He leadeth thee to repentance. He shows us. He teaches. He guides us. He tells us what we need. It's not like God is there with a big stick chasing us down the, to the cross of Calvary. This is where you got to go. No, He lets us. He shows us how we need to surrender ourselves and experience salvation there as we give ourselves up to His redemption. He leadeth thee. We could turn to John 10 and read about the Good Shepherd, how He gave His life for the sheep. The purpose of God's goodness, remember that. The purpose of God's goodness is that we might experience, be led to repentance, to know God. God, God's goodness to us. The number one purpose is that we might be brought to repentance, that we might know who God is, that we would not despise His goodness to us. How many people today uh, despise God's goodness uh, in reflecting on all of the blessings that we receive at His hand? You know, God is not a respecter of persons. We read that. And, uh, you know, He sends His rain on the just and on the unjust. And uh, while some of us might think we've got more than our share, uh, you know, again, that's at the hand of God. The second thing, purpose, so the second reason of God's goodness is the idea of praise. I think it ought to draw praise out of our experience. Turn in your Bibles to Psalms 107. And I'm going to invite you to... Uh, I'm going to read this psalm, and I want you as a congregation to read these four verses for me when we get to them. It's going to be uh, verse uh, 8, 15, 21, and 31. So we're going to read through this psalm, and I want you to, uh, if it's convenient, you can stand for a change of position. If it's not, that's fine, too, if you have children sleeping. If you're sleeping, for sure stand. <laughs> Psalms 107. Again, remember those four verses. I want you as a congregation to read them in unison together. They're on the board there. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses, and he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. For he satisfieth the longing soul, and filleth the hungry soul with goodness, such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. Because they rebelled against the words of God and contended the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness into the shadow of death and break their bands in sunder. Oh, then, praise the Lord for his goodness and his mercy. 
Sorry. The wind got my page. For he hath broken the gates of brass, and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Fools, because of their transgression, and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distress. He sent his word, and healed them, and delivered them from their destructions. And let them sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. They that go down to the sea in ships and do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depth. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's ends. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turneth rivers into wilderness, and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness. For the wickedness of them that dwell therein, he turneth the wilderness into a standing water, and dry ground into water springs. And there he maketh the hungry to dwell, that they may prepare his city for habitation. And sow the fields and plant vineyards, which may yield fruits of increase. He blesses them also, so that they are multiplied greatly, and suffereth not their cattle to decrease. Again they are minished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He poureth contempt upon the princes, and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet setteth he the poor on high from affliction, and maketh him families like a flock. The righteous shall see it, and rejoice, and all iniquity shall stop their mouth. Whoso is wise, and who will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. And you can sit down. Looking at this psalm, I was impressed. You know, we're so dependent upon the goodness of God. First of all, it talks about His mercy. Verse 1, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Where would any of us be without the mercy of God? Mercy is, is God withholding that which we deserved. None of us deserved anything that we received uh, from the hand of God. And God's mercy is, is what allowed that to to happen. Verse 2 talks about being redeemed from the enemy. We have enemies of our soul, and we're talking about spiritual enemies. Uh, God has, through His sacrifice on Calvary, has redeemed us from the enemy. talks about in verse 3 as gathering them from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south. I thought of our fellowship here this morning, the four directions that we come from. Four directions. Uh, I think that's the psalmist talking about prayer here this morning. We have come from the four directions. He has gathered us here to understand and to talk about the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Verses 4 through 7, he, he, I believe it's good to have a place to call home. Uh, even though it's, we have places we call home here in this life, but yet there's nothing quite like a home in glory. And I think that should be our ultimate goal as we... Uh, Recount the goodness of the Lord and His working uh, 
uh, in the experiences that we encounter in life. It's to prepare us. He's preparing a place for us, and He's preparing us for that place through the experiences, through the difficult experiences that we may encounter in life. Uh, think about that. Um, verse 7, He led them forth by the right way, the right way, that they may go to a city of habitation. Verses 10 through 16, God is extending His goodness toward those that are in bondage. It mentions darkness. Uh, mentions the shadow of death. All things that are, you know, are threats to life. And uh, notice in verse 11 it says uh, why they were encountering those things that were in prison, those things that were in bondage perhaps. It says because they rebelled against the words of God and contend, contended with the counsel of the Most High. So here was, here's a group of people from verse, to 10, from verse 10 to 16 that maybe were really undeserving of God's goodness. We would say they got what they, in our political culture, we'd say they got what they deserved. And uh, But yet, God is, is extending His goodness to them even in their bondage. There's no one that is despised of God in a position where He's despised of God. Notice verse 11, it says, It's because they rebelled against the words of God. But, you know, when they recognize God's goodness and God's working in their life, and sometimes that brings people to their senses when they are in bondage, restrictions, uh, behind bars, it gives them time to think and consider, reconsider their choices that they have made that have placed them there. Um, but uh, yet, God's goodness reaches down through the cell bars into those the hearts of those people. Verses 17 through 22, we see the uh, God's goodness reaching down to the uh, physical calamities of life. Uh, goodness of God in face of uh, illnesses, body illnesses, perhaps. And again, he mentions the idea of, uh, uh, if you're looking at verses 17 through 22, it says it produces the idea of... Uh, Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. And I think Matthew Henry used the idea of our intemperance. Many times our intemperance is what causes us to suffer physically. Uh, whether it's overeating, whether it's over-exercising. Um, you know, our intemperance in, in physical life is what causes us to suffer many times physical. Not always, but a lot of times it can be the reason we, we're intemperate in a certain area and we pay for it. Uh, even physically overworking can can be detrimental to one's health, and uh, and that's our natural nature. We, we we lose our balance. We you know we our, our carnal nature, our selfish nature, nature always wants more, and uh, so we keep keep pushing the uh, the boundaries, and uh, but yet God's goodness reaches down to to that segment of mankind too. Notice in verse twenty. I thought that was interesting. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. God is a healer. And we, we've seen that in his earthly ministry, the many people that he healed. And God can heal today. Uh, any healing that takes place is, is a gift of God, I believe. Whether it's through the medical profession or simply through uh, miraculous healings of uh, miracles. It's all of God healing is of God. 
Verses 23 through 32, the psalmist talks about the goodness of God in the faces of, of the natural elements. He says, uh, talks about those who uh, uh, go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters. They see the works of God. And that goes back to our little story in the beginning. Now, those that was just the disciples and Jesus crossing over the Sea of Galilee, and uh, they saw God's greatness in that experience. Talks about the stormy winds and the waves uh, in that section of verses, verses 23 through 32. But uh, notice verses 33 through 43 talks about the goodness of God in relation to the affairs of all mankind. And uh, I can only imagine as I as we look at our uh, 21st century uh, political land, I guess you'd say, and, and the way things, you know, it's all for God. God working in all of that. I, I can't explain it. But uh, God has a plan. God has a purpose. Uh, talks about Him uh, working among the different levels of groups of people. Poor, rich. And uh, how He brings forth His goodness in, in all of the affairs of men. And we can rejoice in that this morning. It's not something that needs to disturb us in... Uh, and causes us to be distressed. We know that God has a purpose and a plan for His good purpose. Third thing I have in mind is His uh, providence. I'd like to take you to Romans chapter 11, back to the New Testament. God's goodness in relation to uh, Romans 11. I want to read verses 13 through uh, 36. Romans 11, verse 13. This is Paul speaking to the Gentiles. He's, For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might have some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from death? For if the first fruits be holy, the lump is also holy, and the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, vert grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Now that's talking about the Gentiles being brought into uh, the church. And them not assuming it or assuming their uh, position with Christ. Boast not, notice that now in verse 18, boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Notice again the importance of faith in our a journey through life. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, talking about the Jews, take heed lest he also spare not thee, you and me as Gentiles. Behold, therefore, now notice verse 22 particularly is what I want. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God on them which fell. Severity, but toward thee, goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. I want to continue reading there. 
And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. He's talking about the Jews being grafted in. For if thou wert cut off out of the olive tree, which is a wild by nature, and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these which be the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away the ungodliness the ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, which I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. O the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways past finding out! For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. God's goodness, the way it affects and impacts our lives, comes brings me back to verse 22. God expects us that we would continue his goodness through our relationships. God wants us to be a channel through of his goodness to mankind. We say good morning. Dwight said it this morning. We say good night. We say goodbye. Why do we say it? Maybe maybe that's all we have time for. I'm not saying it's wrong to say good night. Use those phrases. Goodbye. Good day. Good morning. I think it's proper. But I think, as we look at Romans chapter 12 here, can people tell that we mean it? Or is it sometimes we'd rather say good riddance? In conclusion, I want to just take one verse out of Psalms 34, verse 8. If we truly are recipients of God's goodness, it will flow through our lives. Psalms 34, verse 8. The psalmist invites us, he says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. You think of your life today as offering God's goodness to the people that you come in contact with. And when you say good morning, when you say good night, when you say goodbye, think of that as a, as, as a channel of of extending God's goodness to the people that you relate to. May they truly see God's goodness through me, through you as a congregation, as we relate to one another, as we relate to them in our communities, that God's goodness would be, they would be reminded of, of where goodness comes from. And it is truly all of God. We in ourselves have no good thing. It's only God's goodness working through our lives for His glory and for his purposes.